Over the next four weeks, I'll be preaching a series on the theme of evangelism. And this morning, I wanted to begin by looking at a passage in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. So if you would like to turn in your copy of God's Word to John, chapter 14. You are welcome to do so. And you'll find uh, find it, I think, in the Pew Bible, on page 901. But before we begin, let me ask and pray and ask for the Lord's blessing on his word. Lord our God, we thank you for the power of your living word. And I ask, Lord, that you would strengthen me, your servant this morning, to preach this message. And Lord, we know that unless your spirit takes your word and does something in us, Lord, we can leave here uh, unchanged. But Lord, we don't want to leave unchanged, but we want to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to be shaped and equipped to serve you in what you have called us to, that your kingdom might come here in Medford and in New Jersey as it is in heaven, and that your will, O oh Lord, would be done here in earth as it is in heaven, so that your name might be set apart as holy, so that you, O oh Lord, might be loved, worshipped, honored, obeyed, adored, and praised for who you are. And so to that end, Lord, we ask for your mighty blessing this morning on your word to our hearts. And it's in Jesus that we ask. Amen. So John chapter 14, beginning at verse 12 and going through verse 14. Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now this is a very remarkable uh, passage in the scripture. Jesus, uh, you might know, is in the upper room with his disciples in chapter 14, 15, and 16. Um, theologians call it his upper room discourse. But he's with his disciples as the ninth day he's going to be betrayed. And he's speaking to them the things that are in, important for them to remember as he's about uh, to leave them. And it's, it's in this context that he says these astonishing words. Now, I remember reading this passage uh, some years ago, maybe eight, eight or nine years ago, and thinking, wow, this is 
These are some uh, remarkable statements. I'm not sure what Jesus means here, but he probably doesn't mean what I think he means, and I just sort of passed over it. Um, but this passage, as, as, as the passage has opened up, um, it has been a very powerful passage in my own life. And so I want to share um, this word, and proclaim this word to, to you. So as we walk through this passage, uh, we're going to look at this in three parts. First, we're going to ask, what are the greater works that Jesus is speaking about here? Secondly, why will we do greater works? Why will you do greater works? And thirdly, how will you do greater works? So what are the greater works? Why will we do greater works? And how will we do greater works? So first, what are the greater works that Jesus is speaking about? Well, before we answer that, I want you to notice that Jesus begins his passage with those two words, truly, truly, I say to you. Now, whenever Jesus says truly, truly, he's drawing particular attention to it. And was there anything that Jesus ever said that wasn't true? No. But um, it Hebrews, to bring um, the Hebrew language, to bring attention to a certain statement would use repetition. So, uh, when Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, he was saying, listen up. This is something very important I want you to understand. And secondly, when he said, truly, truly, it was always followed by something that would be unexpected or arresting or even hard to believe. So Jesus begins, truly, truly, I say to you. But I also, to understand just how remarkable these words are, we have to understand the context now think about the life of Jesus. And if you read through the Gospel of John, um, John records these uh, miracles or works of Jesus. And uh, he refers to them as signs, beginning at, uh, in verse 2. Uh, sorry, beginning in chapter 2. Jesus turns water, six uh, large jars of, um, or, uh, of, of water into wine. Um, then you move over to chapter 4, and an official son is sick and ill, even moving to, towards death. And Jesus speaks a word from a distance, from another town, and instantly the boy is healed. Then you move over to chapter 5, and you've got a man um, who's lame at the pool by uh, Bethesda, and Jesus heals him. And then you go to chapter 6, and you have um, the thousands uh 5,000 fed from two loaves, uh, sorry, from five loaves and two fish. 5,000 men, so perhaps 20,000 people, 20, 30,000 people all together. And Jesus takes five loaves and two fish and multiplies them and feeds. And then you go to chapter 9, and there's a man born blind right, from birth. And Jesus touches his eyes, tells him to wash. He washes his eyes and he opens for the first time, he sees the color green, blue. And then you move over to chapter 11. And Lazarus is Jesus' friend, dies. Right? You remember that the sister sent a servant. Your friend Lazarus is about to die. Come. And so Jesus stays for a couple more days. And when he gets there, Lazarus has been dead for four days. And then Jesus stands at Lazarus' tomb. He says, Lazarus, come forth. 
and Lazarus in that tomb for four days. Walks out. Now, it's been uh, just weeks, since, prob probably weeks since the raising of Lazarus, that Jesus is in Jerusalem with his disciples there. And they're up, they're up in the upper room. And we're actually told by John um, a couple of chapters earlier, in chapter 12, that many of the crowds who were in Jerusalem who were going out to see Jesus, went out to see Jesus and to see Lazarus because he was with them, to, to see this man that had been raised from the dead. And so Jerusalem is all you know, abuzz with this news. Right? Whoever brought a man from the dead back to life, right? dead not for a couple of hours, but for four days. So it's in that context that Jesus is sitting with his disciples, and he says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will not only do the works that I do, but greater works than these he will do. Now, Jesus was involved in the works of ministry, ministry to people. And he poured out his life for three years, night and day, ministering to people for the sake of the kingdom. And he says, you will not only do, right, minister for me, but you will do greater works than, you have, than the ones you've seen me doing. Now, what could possibly be greater than bringing a man who's been lying, decomposing in a coffin for four days back from the dead? Seeing someone raised from the spiritual coffin of sin to eternal life in Jesus. That is the greater work. That's a far greater work than bringing someone, right, been uh, in a coffin for a couple of days back from the dead. So the greater works that Jesus is speaking about here are the works of conversion. Now you might be saying, okay, ah, right, okay, so people being saved. Okay, sure, I know, I know sinners being saved is great and all, but if only my Uncle Joe or Aunt Mary who died of cancer could be brought back, now that would be a miracle. But I want you to have perspective. You need perspective here. Let me ask you a question. Did Lazarus, after Jesus brought him back, did he go back into the tomb? Yes. He went back into the tomb. But because he was raised spiritually by the power of Jesus Christ, on the last day when the trumpet sounds, Lazarus is going to come forth from that grave in resurrection glory to live with and praise Jesus for all eternity with all of God's people. See, if God healed Uncle Joe or Aunt Mary and gives them 10 more years of life, right, that is a kindness and a mercy of God. But if Uncle Joe or Aunt Mary is still dead in their sins. And that miracle, eternally, right, ultimately does nothing good except increase the judgment of God on the day, right, on the last day. The true, the greater work is the raising of people who are dead in their sin to spiritual life through Jesus. And so Jesus says, 
whoever believes in me will be involved in, will do the works of conversion. And I want you to notice here as well that Jesus says, whoever believes in him. Now, I want to ask you this morning. Now, he's not, he's not speaking just about the apostles. But he says to them, the one believing in me, whoever believes in me, will not only do the works, but he's going to do but greater works than these he will do. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you done greater works than Jesus in his earthly ministry? And Jesus says here, whoever believes in me will do greater works than you see me here do. And I will do those works through you. He is talking here about every Christian. Now, so the, the what? What are the greater works that Jesus is speaking about here? The works of conversion. But the question is, why will we do greater works? This brings us to our second point. Well, look, Jesus gives the answer in our text here. In verse, uh, the second half of verse 12. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. So there's the answer. You, right, the one believing in Jesus, will do greater works. Okay? Works of conversion because Jesus is going to the Father. Okay, say, so, well, what does Jesus going to the Father have to do with anything, right? Well, Jesus is going back to the Father, and that makes all of the difference, because in going back to the Father, Jesus was going first to the cross, to the grave, and out of the grave to the Father to deal with the problem of sin. But Jesus is going to the cross to put to death sin, to satisfy the justice of God, to remove the guilt of sin, and to triumph over the one who has the power of death, the devil. And then to come through the grave to bring to light life and immortality. Right? That is, Jesus is going back to the Father through his cross and through his resurrection. And that makes all the difference. Because the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And we are born into this world with hearts that are corrupt, with nature that is corrupt through and through. And that is where death comes from. That is where, right, ultimately, the, all of the problem that we see in the world comes from right, the problem of sin on the inside. And that's, that, that sin needs to be dealt with. There's one who came to deal with that. And his name is Jesus. See, what is it that binds people? What is it that brings people down right, to, to death, to judgment? It's, it's, it's the sin in themselves. The bondage of sin. How can we be delivered from the bitterness in us that holds us captive? How can we be delivered from 
the envy and the jealousy that holds us captive? How can we be delivered from the fear and unbelief that holds us captive? How can we be delivered from the lust, the anger, addiction that holds us captive? The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. But Jesus, right, the one, the only one with a truly pure heart, the one man went to that cross, and he who had no sin became sin to put to death sin in his body and to bring forth new life out of the grave. And Jesus, uh, the Father promised in Ezekiel 36, I'll take the heart of stone out of you and give you a living heart, a new heart. And Jesus produces that in his cross. Because I'm going back to the Father, you will do greater works than you've seen me do. Because he's going to the cross and through the grave. But then he's going to ascend to, to the Father and send forth the Holy Spirit. In uh, John chapter 16, a little later, Jesus explains to the disciples in uh, verse 8. He says, uh, you are sad. I know you're sad because I'm telling you you're going away. No, Jesus, but you're, you're the Messiah. Aren't you the Son of God? How, what are we going to do without you here by our side? It says, I know sorrow has filled your heart, but I tell you it's better that I go away. Because if I go, right, but if I go, um, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So what does Jesus going back to the Father have to do with you, the believer, doing greater works than Jesus did in his earthly ministry? He says, I'm going to go to the cross and to the grave, but I'm going to go back to the Father and send the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit is in the world, he will take the power that I produce in my cross. And he will convict the hearts. He will open the eyes to see what true righteousness from above looks like. He will open the eyes to see the the awesome majesty and glory and judgment of God. He will, his eyes will be opened to see the glory of salvation as it is in Jesus Christ. You understand, my brothers and sisters, do you understand what a privilege it is to live on this side of Pentecost? Consider for a moment in Jesus' earthly ministry. How successful was Jesus from a human standpoint in his earthly ministry in making disciples and converts? Well, the greatest preacher who ever lived, who poured himself out night and day for three years at the end of his ministry, perhaps 150 who truly believed in him. But he goes to the cross and he deals with the root of the problem, sin. <clears throat> in his body, he brings <clears throat> life <clears throat> through the grave. He ascends to the Father and then says, wait around in Jerusalem, decide until I pour out the Spirit on the church. And then on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up. And Peter, remember Peter, who denies Jesus right, to, to a girl out of his fear? That Peter stands up with boldness and preaches a convicting sermon. This Jesus, whom you crucified, God has made Lord and Messiah. And 3,000 people are cut to the heart. 
in one sermon, in one day, and saved exponentially more than the entire earthly ministry of Jesus. And why? Because Jesus had gone to the cross, through the grave, and sent forth the Spirit. And that Holy Spirit that was poured out on the day of Pentecost is still in this world today at work through those, the one who believes in Jesus. And so, because Jesus has ascended to the Father, and has poured out the Holy Spirit, you and I, the one believing in Jesus, can do and see greater works than Jesus did in his earthly ministry. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, well, if, if the works of the greater works of the works of conversion, and Jesus says you will do works of conversion, well, what do you mean? Doesn't Jesus doesn't Jesus do the work of conversion? Isn't it the Holy Spirit who converts? What do you mean you will convert someone? And yes, the work is the work of Jesus. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit uses means. And Jesus works through his people. Think about uh, the, the Apostle Paul right, speaks in this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22. He says, and you might remember this passage, right? To the Jews, uh, I become like the Jews. To the Greeks, I become like the Greeks. I become all things to all people in order that I may, what? Save some. You think, wait, wait a minute. Paul, are you having a lapse in theology here? What do you mean you will save some? That's, that's Jesus' work. That's the Holy Spirit's work. And Paul says, of course, I know. It's the same Paul, same Paul who in the beginning of that letter says, I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who gives the increase. So it's neither me nor Apollos that's anything, but it's God who gives the growth. But we, we're simply those privileged to be co-laborers with God. And God has chosen to use us as his instruments to accomplish his work. So God can use you as his co-laborer. He works through means. And apart from the power of Jesus, if Jesus had not died on the cross, Jesus had not risen again, there would be no hope for growing the church. No hope. Because it's, if, if the Holy Spirit had not been poured out, no hope. Because education cannot change the human heart. Jordan Peterson cannot make people holy. Only Jesus. And his, the power of his cross and his Holy Spirit so this brings us to the final question. If you, the one believing in Jesus, get to participate in the work, the miraculous work of Jesus, taking people out of the kingdom of darkness and bringing them into this kingdom of marvelous light, then how will you do those greater works? And Jesus answers this in verse 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 
you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So how are you and I going to do greater works? Well, Jesus here says, through bold prayer. Now, Jesus said, I'm going to the Father, so you will participate in the greater works that I came to do. For you, it's an impossible task. But ask the Father in my name, and I will do it. You will see those greater works. Now, these are astonishing statements here. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I remember years ago glossing over this, thinking, you know, I sounds too good to be true. I don't know what he means, but he doesn't mean what I think he means, and I passed over it. Well, what does Jesus mean here? Well, first, let's talk about what Jesus does not mean. Is Jesus saying, I'm I'm driving down the highway in my 20-year-old Honda with 320,000 miles, and I see that that BMW driving down, oh, that's sweeping. God, give me a new BMW in Jesus' name. And I can expect to have that BMW next week, right? No. That's not what Jesus is saying. You know, you go to a restaurant, and the owner comes and says, "Um, welcome to my restaurant, I'm glad to have you here. If you need anything, just ask. You say, well, actually, the carpets in my home are kind of wearing thin. Would you send someone to have them replaced? And he looks at, what are you talking about? Well, he said, "If if I need anything, He says, I'm talking about my business. And here, Jesus is talking about his kingdom. If you need anything with respect to the coming of my kingdom, ask. That's what Jesus teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Now, when does the kingdom come? Well, Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he can't enter the kingdom of heaven. So when a person is born again by the power of Jesus, as a new becomes a new creation, raised through the power of the resurrection, the kingdom comes. And Jesus says, you, as my disciples, you, the Gentiles, they busy themselves with their investments. What am I going to wear? Am I going to send my bill with some of my kids to college in 10 years? You seek as your first priority the kingdom of God and his righteousness so that the name of God may be hallowed over the totality of this earth. And so Jesus says, whatever you need with respect to the coming of that kingdom, ask and I'll do it. Now, notice here he says as well in verse 13, right? Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, when is the, uh, when is the Father glorified in the Son? Well, when a person right, who is in the bondage of sin, blind to the glory of God, has their eyes open to see Jesus, to embrace him, to be set free from their their anger, 
from dissensions, divisions, rivalries, lust, anger, pride, foolishness, to be delivered from those things and to be brought into the life, right? the, the glorious life of God through the power of Jesus. Again, that can only be done through the, through the cross of Jesus. The old person must die with Jesus and a new person must be brought out of that grave. And when that happens, Jesus is glorified because it's only through him. And when a person becomes, is remade, is being remade in the image of God through the power of Christ in them, the Holy Spirit, Jesus is glorified because it's only through Jesus. So when your unbelieving relative or coworker or neighbor is brought out of the darkness of their, their sin, the blindness right, of their idolatry into salvation, the light of Jesus Christ. Jesus is glorified. And so he says, whatever you have, whatever you need to make disciples, whatever you need, ask, and I'll give it to you. Remember that apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. John 15. Now, what do you mean? Apart from Jesus, I can't brush my teeth? Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing that's truly holy before God. You can do nothing that will produce eternal good apart from Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And so, and this includes being an effective witness. Now, when someone says the word evangelism or witness, what comes to your mind? What, what's your response? To fear? Difficult? Oh, this is impossible. I know, I know my neighbors. I know my coworkers. I, there's no way that that person could ever be transformed by Jesus. Saved. Scary? What, what are the greatest barriers for you in bringing bringing in, gathering in the lost people that God has placed in your orbit. In the orbit here, in Medford, in South Jersey, what are the barriers? What do you need? And Jesus says, whatever you need, ask, and I'll give it to you. Do you need boldness, greater boldness? Jesus says, ask. And I, I want you to notice as well here, right, Notice the words that he uses here. Whatever and anything. Whatever you ask. If you ask anything. What is Jesus getting at by these words? He says, there is nothing too difficult for me. There is nothing too big for me to give. Jesus widens the scope. Widens the scope to include everything. Anything. So, what do you need? Do you need boldness? Jesus says, ask. I will give you boldness. Do you need a burden? You know, honestly, I'm just apathetic to people. I don't have a burden for people. I'm selfish. Jesus says, ask. I'll give it to you. Do you need wisdom? I just don't know what to say. I don't know how to speak to people. I don't know how to share the truth. Ask. Do you need an open door? I don't see the open doors. Ask. 
Jesus will give, give it to you. Do you need God to work in the hearts of people? Ask. You and I cannot change the human heart. We can't change our, we can't even change our own hearts. But Jesus can. Whatever you need, ask. No prayers are too big. No barriers are too difficult for God. So Jesus says, how are you going to do these greater works? Through bold prayer. Pray boldly. And secondly, pray believing. Pray believing. Notice here that Jesus repeats himself. Look, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And he says it again. Okay, if you didn't hear me, I'll say it again. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll give it to you. Now, why does Jesus repeat himself? Because he knows our tendency towards unbelief. You know, parents, when you go away for some time and you leave your kids at home and you have some responsibilities for them to do, right, you tell them, okay, make sure you take out the trash on Tuesday. And if you, you know that your kids are liable to forget, what do you do? You repeat yourself. Okay, remember, and don't forget to take out the trash on Tuesday. And then you're walking out the door and you turn it. Don't forget the trash on Tuesday, right? And here Jesus is, but he knows our proneness to forget. He knows our proneness to unbelief. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe the words that Jesus is speaking right here? Do you believe these words? And I don't just mean, do you acknowledge that they're true? Do you believe that they're true? How do you know that someone believes Jesus' words here when it comes to prayer? It's unbelief. I, I, I believe that unbelief is a huge problem in the church. Unbelief is a problem even in orthodox, theologically sound churches. How often and fervently do you pray for these things? Your fervency in prayer is a sign of belief. Think about it. When you go to knock on your neighbor's door, maybe you, you run out of eggs and, and, you, um, and you need something for the recipe, you knock on the door. You don't see a car in the driveway and you knock on the door, you don't hear anything and you kind of suspect, well, no one's probably, probably no one's home, but it's worth a shot. And you knock on the door, no answer, what do you do? You leave and you go. But you see a car in there and you saw your neighbor in the kitchen passing through the window, you know that somebody's in there, you knock and you need those eggs. Right, what are you going to do? You're going to keep knocking and keep knocking because you know that someone is in there. And when you believe Jesus' words here, right, whatever you need, ask and I'll give it to you. You'll pray with fervency and you'll keep praying. Lord, give it to us. Give me boldness. Give me compassion. Give me a heart. Give me a burden for people. Give me wisdom. Give me open doors at work. Pray fervently and ask until you see it because you know that Jesus has spoken and you believe that his word is true. Now, we are currently in a time with a lot of darkness. We see it all around us, fighting, warfare, 
unbelief, perversion, bondage to sin, addiction, surrounded right, by much darkness. But Jesus has given us a task. He said, I want you to go and make disciples of all the nations. And that includes New Jersey. That includes Southard. That includes Medford, Mount Laurel, Marlton. Jesus produced the power to produce souls and holiness, conversion and sanctification in his body on the cross. And then he went to the Father and sent the Spirit. He said, now you're going to be my means and I'm going to bring forth my kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. He says, you are going to do it. You're going to be my means. It seems like an awesome task, but Jesus has the power to do it through us. And so he tells his disciples here, right, you will do even greater works than you've seen in my earthly ministry. Because I'm going to the Father. You will see conversions. You will be used to bring people. You, if you believe in me, I will use you to bring people into my kingdom, to bring them out of darkness and into my marvelous light. And he says, you will do it because I went to the cross. I came out of the grave. New life. And I went to the Father. And I sent my Holy Spirit into the world, into my church, into you. So you will be my means. So as you go and do that, you're going to face barriers. You're going to face difficulties. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. So whatever you need, ask, and I'll do it. Ask, and I'll do it. And you will see the glory of God. So, as we close, I want you to visualize for a moment. Emmanuel Medford, overflowing with people, with your neighbors, with your unbelieving relatives and co-workers, here, praising Jesus, seeking to grow in him, loving and hungering for his word, praising him because God has used you to bring them. Now that seems like a difficult task, but that is exactly what Jesus is sending us to do and what he promises he will do through the ones who believe in him. So may God take this word and put it into your heart that you might believe what Jesus has spoken here and that God might do greater works through you to the glory of his name. Amen. Lord God, we thank you for this word. And God, we praise you and we thank you that you have brought salvation to life through the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the death of Jesus on the cross. We thank you for his resurrection. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, it's an amazing, astounding thing that we can do greater works than Jesus did in his earthly ministry. That he will do greater works through us. And so I ask, Lord, that whatever we need, that you would give it to us. And I pray that you would grant us faith to believe these words. 
that we might bear fruit for Jesus, that the kingdom might come here as it is in heaven. And it's in Jesus that we ask all of these things. Amen.